So this morning, we're going to wrap up our series called Parents to Spiritual Leaders. And we've been spending a few weeks in this, um, and today's kind of the final. When I realized we had one Sunday left before the new year, this is what I wanted to wrap up with here. Um, I believe God has been sovereign over this whole series. I wanted to talk to you a little bit as we wrap up. We, we talked about these two series, Love and Marriage and Parents to Spiritual Leaders, and we believe they're like inextricably linked together. And that's why we developed this fall curriculum the way we did. And so today, we're going to kind of um, finalize all these thoughts that we have and maybe tie some things together for you in your mind. But we believe that God is sovereign over everything in our lives. That includes our marriages. That includes our children. That includes our parenting. That includes our circumstances right now today. And so I hope that you have that same belief with us. But the core that we've been talking about really has been reorienting our lives around God's purpose and plan for us. You know, Jesus said, um, if you follow him, you will find true life, the real thing. No more like substitutionary success, but real life in Jesus Christ. And therefore, our call as a church is to reorient ourselves around the kingdom of God and his call over us. This morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Deuteronomy to, to start as we've been doing for the series. I'm going to ask you a question. Who can tell me? We're going to look at Deuteronomy 6, if I can find it here. Deuteronomy 6, 4, is that 6? 4 through 8. Thank you, Steve. Um, who can tell me what this is called? Thank you. It's the Shema. That's correct. It means hear, O Israel. This morning you sang a song. I don't know if you heard the words you said. You know, the king of Israel, right? This is hear, O Israel. And this is the first command. And I'm just going to read it to you this morning. And then we're going to wrap up thinking about it. Um, but who can tell me this? Who can tell me what it says? Not word for word, but who, can, who among us can say, this is kind of what it says? Anybody? It's like, it's like, a, like a big pop quiz, isn't it? Right? You can read it there. It says, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your, with all your, and with all your, right, and let me see here, oh, look at my, my cliff notes in my Bible, and uh, we're going to skip verse 6, and then what, and impress them upon your children, and that's been the core of our verse, talk about them when you walk along the road, when you sit down, and when you rise up, we talked about this verse quite a bit, but I hope that this would be a great verse to memorize in your life. This was a foundational text for the Israelites. And we say, come, O king of Israel, this was the kingdom he was coming to rule over. This, this God-ordained sovereignty and this passing down of the generations of the instruction. Hear the word today with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The commands that I give you today are to be pressed upon your hearts and press them also upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And there's so much going on there. We've talked about it. But I hope that if you, if you memorize at least part of that or the thoughts behind that, um, I, I believe it will transform your life and your parenting style. All right. Let's, let's pray together this morning. Father God, as we enter into your word today, we believe that we are here to hear you speak. Not worldly wisdom or human thought, but your divine revelation to us, Father God, through your holy word, your inspired word 
that comes to rebuke and to teach and to correct, to draw us near to you and near to your purposes for our life. Today, Father God, we pray in every way that we are able, we would stop what we're doing. We would give ourselves over to you. We would open our minds and soften our hearts to hear the word proclaimed that you could be glorified and we would be strengthened. I pray, Father, that in every way you have your way in the service, that your Holy Spirit would dwell richly here, that we might know you more intimately and follow you more passionately. And uh, as we wait in this Advent season, may we wait with the angels for the coming of Christ. May we long for the day of justice and mercy. And I pray, Father God, that this would be manifest in your time and by your will, because you are most glorious and worthy of praise. In Jesus' name, amen. And so that's, the, th- that's our core verse the whole time. But what we're going to do today is talk about the, the principle, the long-term principle of parenting. And so this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off talking about this idea as we, um, as we finish of letting go and holding on, right? Of letting go and holding on. The reason that we instruct our children this way, the reason that we uh, teach the way we do is for a time in their life that they can be their own person, right? I mean, I I want us to keep in mind all the time when we're doing things, I I pray in my own life, that we have some kind of a long term. Do you know something about God? Do you know that God works in the long term? You know, the longer we follow God together, the more we see his sovereignty in our history, the more we see his plans. Some people come, they come for a week or two, they come for a month, they think this ain't working, they move on. The longer you pursue the living God, the more you're able to see his divine purposes in your life. I want to tell you something this morning. There might be some things, some of you have said, this series has been terrible because I feel like I've failed in so many ways. God is a God of redemption in your life. And there are things in your past you think God will never redeem that. I'm here to tell you, he redeems everything, everything. And I hope that you and I can continue in that faith that God will redeem all things, that he is not a waster of anything, but uh, one who brings everything sovereignly into his power and into his glory. And so he will redeem all things. So our goal in parenting should not be the temporal for a while, for right now, make it better. That's actually kind of a selfish thing, but to be more selfless and have a long-term vision for our role as parents. And the, the way that starts is by letting go and holding on. There comes a time in the lives of our children when we're called to let go. And I, I think right now, we've talked about this a little bit already, but I think right now in our culture, we see parents who are not letting go and kids who aren't going anywhere. And we don't know what's happened, what's going on. But I wonder if we have not forgotten our call as parents to train them up in the way they should go so when they're older, right, they'll return, they'll not depart from it. That's a season of testing. So this morning, I want to talk about three kind of principles that, that we can realize that this is the truth from God's word, that, that his call for us as parents at the end is to let go of our children and hold on to God. That's what's going to be our act of faith, okay? So check it out. This morning, the first thing I want to tell you from Scripture is that parenting is temporary work. Parenting is temporary work. And this is something that for you and I kind of cuts against the grain. We think, well, that can't be right. 
You know, once a parent, always a parent. I've had parents tell me all the time, you never stop parenting your children. You, you always, as a matter of fact, it's more heartbreaking sometimes when they leave because you have, no, you have less control over their life. But here's the truth in Scripture. Parenting is temporary work. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. This will sound familiar if you've been with us for the last 14 weeks. We spent some time in this before. Genesis chapter 2 is on page 2 of our Bibles, if you didn't bring one this morning. And hear, hear the word with me this morning. Genesis 2, we're going to read verses 20 through um, 24. This is what the word says. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. By the way, this is the end of the creation narrative, we say, right? But for Adam, that's the first man, there was no suitable helper found. So Yahweh God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed the place back up with flesh. Then the Lord God, Yahweh, made a woman from the rib he had taken from man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken from man. Here's the verse, 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I can't, not, I can't stop there. I got to read this. The man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. <laughs> that's the glory of God right there, you know, because our culture, well, don't, you know, that's a, that's a rabbit trail. But here's the thing. It's for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. Now, we talked about that in the marriage series, that movement of God in the lives of men and women. But parenting is the same principle. I want you to see something about the relationships that God establishes. We talked about this. I want to walk through this a little bit for a minute. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. Now, that's cool for the first generation, because you go, okay, so Adam and Eve had to let go of their kids to go and be united to a wife, right? But here's the thing. If you follow that logic through, then here's Adam and Eve, and here's their next generation, and they leave and cleave right? So this becomes a new relationship, that they have kids and they leave and cleave. And I want you to see two things. First of all, these marriage relationships stay. They endure. They are long-term. We say, till death do us part. The rest of my life, I'll be with this woman. I'll be with this man. And that's how we operate. But what we don't understand is that even means it will supersede our parenting. We parent for a while, and then our children leave and cleave and we cleave to our spouse. Now, many of you who've been through this before, I have not gone through this yet, but know that this is a time of anxiety, of, of concern. You know, like I said, you're losing control. But we have to understand that by God's economy and God's kingdom parenting, our role is temporary work. This does a couple things for us. First of all, it makes, it makes us, it forces us to make the most of our time that we can with our children. Be diligent in the work that we're doing with them because it's for a while and they're going to be on their own. And we have to understand that at some level, that you're not going to tell your kids what to do the rest of their lives. Some of the, some of the, the best kind of scholars in this stuff have talked about this kind of X pattern in our lives, you know, where at the beginning of our children's lives, there's a lot of us saying, because I told you so, right? When you're two-year-old, goes to touch the hot stove, you, you just stop them from doing that. But whenever your 16 or 17-year-old makes a really poor choice, you had better be moving up this letter of influence in their lives so that they're wanting to listen to you because you will no longer be able to force them to listen to you. Do you see that? You start here with this kind of control and you end up with influence 
in parenting. And so as this, you know, in this time in their lives, when they become more their own man and woman, when they start to think about leaving and cleaving, and I'm not saying, you know, don't hear, mishear me that your, your job is done, but this is an influential relationship in your children's lives at that point. And God designed it that way, that they could what? Become his children as they've always been. We say that. So there's this ladder or this cycle of relationship that, that follows this biblical model. And so that's the first thing, is that, that parenting is temporary work. Now, I want to get practical, because I want to say, well, how do we do this? What, here's the question I want to keep asking. And in 2012, I want to keep asking this question. Yeah, great. How do we do that? And here's what I want to tell you this morning, that the first thing we can do to parent and understand our work is temporary and, and learn to let go is to constantly remember um, that, 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 that it, um, it's temporary work. That, to keep, I'm sorry, to keep the end goal in mind of what we're trying to do. Just like in our marriages, we're not looking for next month or next week, you know, or next year. We're looking at the horizon to see where we're heading as a couple, till death us do part. In the same way with our children, we should look at that horizon when they become men and women fully functioning on their own. Do you have a vision for your children as adults? Do you, if you're a child, do you believe that your parents had a vision for you to strike out on your own, to do your own thing? It's a very, it's a very practical question. We can do this by preparing our kids to be on our own. We can do this by giving them uh, more responsibility in our homes. And in many homes, our kids don't have any responsibilities of their own. You know, there, there are kids, and I'm not picking on anybody, but there are kids who are like 18 and 20 and don't pay bills yet. And then, and then we have parents going, well, I don't know why they won't leave. I tell you what, you put me up with no bills and I'll stay too. You know what I mean? I'll move my whole family in, you know? Woo! You know, I mean, there has to be some motivation. I'll tell you a story, and I apologize, Nathan, right now. Is Nathan in here this morning? Yeah, he's back there. Okay. I tell him this all the time. When he was a young man, he was in the top bunk of his bed, and he'd be up there, and he'd be like, he was about, what, 13 or 14? He's like, you're driving me crazy. I, I can't wait to get out of here. When I'm 18, I'm leaving. And I said, the plan is working. You know what I mean? And Chris is like, now don't be so mean. We, Nathan, you can stay. I said, honey, he's got to go. He, we, we joked, we remodeled our basement. And when I, we built his room in the basement, I built it with a plan for my office when he's gone. He's like, what's that for? That's for my computer. Your computer, look at me, my office. It's going to be nice. No, I mean, but you know, he, we love him no matter what. I mean, he knows that. But there's a truth that as parents, we've got to build some tension in the lives of our kids. We've got to say, you don't pay your bills. You don't drive a car. You don't have a cell phone. You don't do these things. Get practical about an end result. You want what? Healthy, fully functioning followers of God, obedient to the Spirit of God. You want children who are going to impact the world for God's sake. And we have to be intentional about how we do that. I don't do it perfectly. I, you ask, now, you ask Nathan after the service. He'll tell you all the ways I screw up. As his dad, you ask John, he'll tell you all the ways I screw up. But I know, I feel this compulsion that we've got to prepare our kids to be fully functioning, healthy adults, obedient to God and the Spirit. That's our role as spiritual leaders in the household. The second way we can practically do this is we can honor our marriage above everything else. Now, we've talked about, you know, love and marriage, but the way you can be an excellent parent is to honor your husband and honor your wife. In a household, that stuff just gets into your kids. And, and here's the problem. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but too many times, the, the kids become the point of the marriage. This is why we're together. 
And, and we know that that's why a lot of marriages fail, because when the kids leave, what's the point? The way to build an enduring relationship and to, to, to kind of have a, a, um, a, a, make the most of your parenting is to adore your husband, adore your wife, honor them above your children. Here's a great line. You can use it in your own house. I was married to her before you got here, and I'll be married to her after you're gone. Right? You say, well, now why do you say that to our kids? Our kids are sweet. And listen, kids are, you know, devious. <laughs> right? I'm sorry, Nathan. He's like, why are you picking on kids today? I want to tell you something. And I walked through some things recently, and God revealed things in my heart. And I, I told, you know, my mom and I have had a lot of time together, but I want to tell you a quick little snippet. I realized whenever I was a child, I drove a wedge in my parents' marriage, meaning my stepdad and my mom. It was even worse than if you were a mom and a dad. And I thought maybe it was because it was my stepdad. But here's the thing. I realized in our house, our kids, they'll just get in there with a little chisel. And they'll be like, tick, 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 tick. They're just trying to find a way. That's their nature. They just want to find a way. Now, they don't really want their parents separated, but they want to get, you know, the, uh, the iPod, right? They, they want to get their Christmas gift. And if they can work mom against dad and dad against mom and, oh, this is going to work, I'm going to get what I want. You as a parent have to say, listen to me. We've been together before you got here, and we'll be together after you leave. And I got news for you. Whether your children acknowledge this, what they want or not, that'll be the greatest blessing to them as adults, that they have parents who love and honor one another. We can do that work as parents. So one way we can do that is to never put our kids before our spouse. Don't do it. Don't do that. Don't raise your kids up above your marriage. It would be bad for you and bad for them and, and not glorifying. So third thing, we can affirm proper independence in our children. Now, this is hard for me because if you know me, I got a little bit of a heart of a rebel, you know, and, and God's been working on me with that, a, a, a spirit of submission because I kind of like the guy that, you know, goes around the outside and makes his way in the world. But we have to affirm appropriate independence in our kids. That's the call. There are times that they will think for themselves and not agree with you. Steve talked about that a few weeks ago. Let me tell you something, parents. That's a good thing for your kids to be doing. In the moment, you might be like boiling. Because how could you question my authority? How could you wonder if I'm right? But they're thinking for themselves. We can affirm appropriate independence in our children. I've heard of moms who whenever their children are little, if they, if they decide that they want to wear something different to school, the moms will say, no, you wear what I want you to wear to school. What would be wrong with the kids wearing something that wasn't completely appropriate among their peers? For many of you, you and I would think, well, we'd look like bad parents, right? Chris still likes to dress me when I go out in public because she's afraid that she'll look like a bad wife, you know, especially when I'm up here. But what would be wrong with us allowing God to teach us lessons about how we should be and who we should be? We should, we should affirm appropriate independence, and we should also praise our kids when they make an intentional choice. All the time we say, why did you choose that? And if there's a logic behind it, even if it's flawed in some way, at least we know they're doing it on purpose. Too many of us live our lives on accident, right? Just happens to be what we're doing right now. We have no idea why we're doing that. We should affirm in our children when they make intentional choices. All right. Well, that's the first thing. So it's temporary work. It's temporary work. The second thing I want to show you comes from the book of Genesis as well. Flip with me, if you would, to the Genesis chapter 20. We're going to pick it up a little bit here because we've got some things to get through. This is a really cool story. There's a guy that we call the father of our faith. You know what his name is? Abraham. Abraham's the father of our faith. And I want to read you a brief story here from uh, Genesis about Abraham. Here goes the story. Chapter 21, verse 1 through 12. Listen to the story. Now Yahweh was gracious to Sarah as he had said... 
God is a keeper of promises. And Yahweh did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At that very time, God had promised him. Man, there's so much in here. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore him. And when, I, when the son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Imagine that. That's some tough parenting, right? Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would have nursing children? Have I, have, yet I have borne him a son in my old age. And God loves joy. Do you know that? Do you know God loves it when we go, that's, the, that's crazy that you would do that in our life. Listen to their story. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham, uh, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar the Egyptian. Am I in the right spot here? Oh, you know what I'm at? I'm mean, no, sorry. I've been preaching the whole thing. Listen, skip with me to chapter, uh, chapter 22. That was a good introduction to Abraham and Sarah. All right, check it out. Here's what it says. I'm like, we're on we're the wrong verse. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Some of you were in the right places, weren't you? I know that about you. He said to him, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. That's a great response to God. Then he said, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. This is the one that was born to them, the one that was promised. He said, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, I want you to listen to Abraham's response. This is the craziest dad I've ever heard. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took him, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, right, he chopped some wood, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, you guys stay here with the donkey while I and my boy go over there. And we will listen to the words, worship, and then we will come back to you. Worship and let him go. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on the back of his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went together. And Isaac spoke up to his father, Abraham, and said, Father? And he says, yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac asked. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together on the journey. And when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged all the wood on the altar. And then he bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife that was to slay his son. That's some crazy parenting right there. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And now Abraham said again, here I am, right? Do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now that I know you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You know, there's a truth to our parenting that to let go of our children is to trust God with them. That's an extreme example, but that's from Scripture, that letting go of our children is an act of faith that Abraham took his son up to this mountain and had no idea how God was going to pull it off. 
He had no idea what was going to happen, but he felt an obedience to God. Abraham is the father of our faith. And I just, I hope you understand how, how this connects to this idea. His whole life was actually an act of faith. I want to show you another verse about this. That was the Old Testament, by the way, the first revelation from God. The New Testament is the second half of the Bible. And I want you to turn to Hebrews with me, if you would. I want to show you the rest of this story. Because the writer of Hebrews interprets this passage for us. It's Hebrews chapter 11. And this is what it says about Abraham, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place he would later receive his inheritance, this is just him going, he went. And even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs of him in the promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect, the builder of, is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past his age and Sarah herself was barren without children, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made a promise to him. And so from this one man who was as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. I'm going to read verse 13. I'm going to skip down after that. But it says this, all these people were still living by faith when they, what, died. They were men and women of faith when they died. Skip down with me to verse 17. This is going to tie back into that story from Genesis. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, this is the son that your offspring will be reckoned, meaning that you will have generations from this child. And Abraham reasoned, listen to the word, that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he indeed received Isaac back from the door of death. Isn't that wild? Too many of us, when we parent our children, we act like if we let go, it's going to go wrong in their life. But today I want you to hear, I hope you hear, that letting go is an act of faith, not in our ability or even in what we've done, but that God is sovereign. Can we have the faith of Abraham in our life? Can you and I look at our 18, 19, 20, 22, 24, 40, you know, year old child and say, God can be trusted with my children? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. I want to tell you um, that many times in our lives as parents that this point of our parenting will be the biggest test of faith we've ever had. We've been telling our children our whole lives, you can trust God, we trust God, watch us trust God, we're trusting God. But the more we cling and refuse to let go, the more we demonstrate to them, we ultimately don't trust God. Ultimately, we, we trust ourselves more. Here's something you probably know about me. I, I kind of love a crazy driver. You know what I mean? Like, are you one of those people that like kind of zigzags out of traffic in St. Louis? Are you one of those people? Because I'm one of those people that cheers you on. I'm like, nice move. That was crazy. You know, I always wanted to be like a NASCAR driver when I was a kid. But let me tell you something about my faith. I would get in a car with you, and I'd hang on that little chicken strap, and I'd go for a ride. And you could be squalling the tires, and I'd be like, yeah. You could go like off-road, and I'd be like, woo. You know, I went out and hung out with the Cordy's one day, and we got went mudding. I love it. 
but you put my kid in that car? Slow down, you maniac. Why? Because that's the test of faith. I'll take a risk, but if I'm going to trust you with my kids, it's real. It's precious. And I'm going to have a different standard. The same is true in our life of faith with God. The whole time we are driving, we're in control, we think, I can trust God with anything. But the minute we got to let him get in that car with God and ride off down the street, we think, oh, Lord, help us. Help us with our faith. So how can we do this practically in our lives? How can we do this? The first and foremost, and I believe the foundation for a relationship with Jesus Christ and God himself is prayer. We can pray for the faith to trust God with our kids. We can pray for and over our children And this relationship we have with God is like Isaac. We can be like, whatever you want, God, it's going to be right and pure and holy and blameless, and therefore I can act in faith on that. I can believe your promises, even when it doesn't make sense to me anymore. The second thing we can do practically is we can stand at a distance from our kids, be willing to stand at a distance at times, right? Right? Too many times we have to be right there next to them holding their hand for everything. But we can back up. I'm not saying being indifferent in your parenting, letting kids, you know, just script their whole lives. But I'm saying discern. That's the third thing. We can discern with God when we should step up and when we should step back as a parent. I hope you do that. Because the sovereign God of the universe who knit your child together wants you to discern when you need to step up and when you need to step back, Right? We have something we've come to call tough love in our culture these days. And I think sometimes that that can be retranslated as trust God. Trust God. Because too many times you and I become an enabler to bad behavior. So we can discern, hear from God when we should step up and when we should step back, when we should intercede directly and we should let it go and let repercussions happen. Here's the final point this morning. And this is going to bring up our whole series, you know, wrap it up right here. Is this truth... Trusting God is an eternal matter. Trusting God is an eternal matter. And I want to tell you this morning that it's an eternal matter for you and it's an eternal matter for your children. That nobody gets by this clause to trust God. I'll share a scripture with you. Jesus himself spoke it. This comes from the Gospels, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. You've heard this verse before, but if you want to turn there with me, you can see with your own eyes. It says, uh, says this. Jesus had just told his disciples something profound. You can look back in verse 33 of chapter 13 and hear with me. He says this to his disciples. He says, my children, I will only be with you a little longer. Jesus said, you can't go where I'm going to go. And they freaked out. We're going to be on our own. What are we going to do? We're not ready. How's this going to happen? And they're freaking out. And in chapter 14, Jesus says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Here's here's God as our parent. In my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you differently. But I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you with me that you can join me where I am. You know the place to where I am going. So Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? And this is what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one 
comes to the Father except through me. Trusting God, folks, is an eternal matter. And our role as spiritual um, uh, leaders of our children is an eternal responsibility. And ultimately, at the end of our life, you don't want your kids to need you more than they need God. You hear me? This is what we're doing in discipleship when we say obey God, listen to God, pray to God. Because at the end, we don't want you to need your parents more than you need God. We don't want you to need your kids more than you need God. We don't want you to need your spouse more than you need God. Because in the end, Jesus said this, I'm going ahead to prepare a place and I'm coming back for you. Trust me and trust my Father. The truth is, as spiritual leaders in our homes, this is the crux of our confidence in God. As a matter of fact, I'll remind you that we're coming into the Christmas season. This is Advent, the waiting time. And Christmas is this miraculous story of how God so loved the world that he sent his only son. The beginning of the cross of Christ where Jesus says in John 14, I'm going somewhere you can't go, started in a manger in Bethlehem. And we're getting ready to celebrate the birth of the king. And God himself let his son come to us to reveal the truth of his love, his justice, and his mercy. And ultimately, we have to trust God fully ourselves. So my question for you today, my final question is this. Do you ultimately trust God with everything? Do you ultimately trust God for yourself? Do you ultimately trust God for your children? Do we ultimately stand among those? And the scripture is full of these things, these words of encouragement, the, the great witness of the faith that say, wherever I go and whatever I do, I cling to Jesus Christ for all the promises of God. There's nothing else for me. You know that there was two experiences I've had that have profoundly shaped me. And the one you all just helped me through, and that's this, that I stood in an ICU at death's door. And I stood there, and you all know me, and I stood there helplessly clinging to the promises of God for my family. No one goes no one goes for somebody else except for Jesus. And I stood there and I witnessed it. I said to people who came, they said, how's it going in here? You're in an icy room with the beeping machines. And I say, this is where our worldly delusion meets God's reality, that he is sovereign, he is just, he is mighty, and we're accountable to him in the end. And so there I stood beside the bed, trusting God fully in ways that I didn't imagine I would have to. Trust God. Trust also in Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you another story. There was a friend of mine, back whenever I was young in the faith, I'd just become a believer, and uh, he was in the hospital. And I was a deacon. And I don't know how I got to be a deacon in my church. It was because no one else wanted to, you know. And I said, here I am. And the pastor went out of town. 
and someone who had been sick for years and years, struggling with cancer and, and congestive heart failure and everything else, was in the hospital. And the hospital called the church secretary and said, this is his last hours. Hospice says it's almost over. You've got to send somebody down quick. And I went, the pastor's out of town. And I showed up at the hospital to see my friend Wayne. And I stood outside that door and I paced around. And I thought, I am not equipped. I am not ready. I am not able to go in this room and say anything of meaning. Because he has to be trusting God. Or there's nothing I can do. There's not even, I don't even know how to pray. And I went into the room. My wife went with me. And, uh, and I went in there. And he had this mask on, and he was, it was breathing for him. It wasn't intubation, but it was a CPAP thing. It was, you know, you've ever seen that before, you know. And he's in there, and I said, how you doing? And he's like, you know what I mean, because you can't understand him. And I'm holding my Bible, and I'm nervous. I don't know what's happening. And Chris is like, I'll get some ice chips. And she leaves me. And I stand there, and my friend Wayne, he pulls off his mask. He says, how is it going for you, Bill? How's it going for me? He said, have you found a place yet to minister? And I'm like, no, Wayne, I haven't. And he said these words, keep the faith. And then Chris came back, and then we prayed, and then we cried, and then we left. And then Jesus came back and got Wayne and took him home. You see what I'm saying? Parents are spiritual leaders. Wayne in that moment had a power over me to, to exhort me, to encourage me, to trust God like he was. And I hope, church, that you and me, when we're in that bed, can have that kind of faith. Have that kind of faith to trust God with everything. This morning, if you don't, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. God, give me that kind of faith. I'm going to invite you, if you've never talked to God before, to pray and just talk to your Heavenly Father and say, God, I don't understand what's happening, but I know there's something different, and I want that for myself. And, and I'm going to pray with you that for those of us who've already begun that relationship, that you and I would pray for an envision for our children and for ourselves that somehow, by God's grace and mercy, we will end up in that position of being able to say to someone who comes to visit us on our deathbed that we can take off our mask and say, keep the faith. Please join me in prayer. Father God, as we come into your holiness, your holy presence, the place where angels, angels, worship, and fear to tread. I pray, Father God, that today your Holy Spirit would move in amongst your people. I thank you so much for the conviction of your word, for the ways that it cuts us right to the core. I pray, Father, that we would find a practical way to live out the faith we have and the promises you've made over us. And I pray, Father, today, that if there are those here who don't know you as Savior, who don't know that truth of the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that by your Holy Spirit, you would draw us in with you. That we could begin that relationship of full confidence. Come what may, come what may, we trust you with everything. As we wrap up our series on uh, parents and spiritual leaders, I pray that we as parents would understand our obligation over your children and your sovereignty over them, that we could really be found in the end as those who are faithful to our call.
And that in every way, Lord Jesus, we, we know you are sovereign. We know we can trust you. And so we pray that you would continue to draw us near to yourself. Continue to love us into your kingdom. And continue us to use your saints around us, to exhort us, to encourage us, and to go before us in full faith of your promise. You are almighty. You are worthy. You are holy. You are indescribable. And today we pray only because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.